your copy of God's Word and join me in John chapter 21. Uh, John chapter 21, we were, uh, in John chapter 20, we uh, see the risen Lord. He appeared twice to the disciples in an eight-week difference uh, in a gap. The first time he appeared, Thomas wasn't there. The second time, he comes back for Thomas and shows Thomas, who had doubted, that uh, he is the Christ, that he is risen, and uh, showed him the nail scars in his hands and his feet and, of course, his side. Then Jesus instructs the disciples to go 80 miles from Jerusalem into a place called Galilee by the seashore and wait for him there, and he'll be there. And, and while you wait, uh, you know, you wait on the Lord. And so Peter, they get 80 miles outside of Jerusalem in Galilee, and Peter gets tired of waiting on the Lord. Uh, Jesus did not give uh, Peter a time frame. He just said, I'll meet you there. And so Peter gets tired of waiting, and uh, he goes fishing, as we read about last week. He goes fishing and takes the disciples out in a couple boats, and they fish all night, throw their nets, and uh, cannot catch or did not catch anything. Early that morning, uh, they see a man on the shore who asks them, if, how are you doing, fellas? And, and of course, uh, Peter says, we haven't caught anything. And he said, throw your nets on the right side of the ship, and Of course they did, and they caught a drought, the Bible says, a fish. And so they knew. John says, I believe it's the Lord. And and Peter, of course, jumps, grabs his fisherman coat, jumps in the water, goes to greet the Lord, and the rest of the disciples with that 153 fish. And when they arrive on the shore, Jesus is, is fixing breakfast. It's early in the morning, and he has some fish and some bread and a hot coals there on the on the shore. And he approaches the disciples and Uh, The disciples rather approach him with the fish. And I'm sure there was hugs and embraces and and they hadn't seen the Lord in a little bit. And so Jesus begins a conversation with Peter. And I could imagine, and and now that breakfast is over, he's given the details of Peter's restoration and recommissioning in the text. For Peter had failed the Lord just a few chapters before. Do you all remember when when he was in Caiaphas' court there in the outside of the house of Caiaphas? He's warming himself by the fire. And uh, some folks approach him and said, aren't you one of the disciples? Aren't you one of those that have been following with Jesus and been around with him? And he denied it once. He denied it twice. And then he, he swore. He said, I've never been with that man and denied him three times. And we know that the rooster uh, crew and uh, crocked and, and uh, rather it crowed. I said everything but it did. It probably died after that. And, uh, and so uh, didn't know. Didn't know uh, but, but it was prophesied that Peter would, in fact, deny the Lord. And I, I think about just the fact that Peter, according to man's standards and even God's standard, Peter had, had failed the Lord. He had failed him miserably. And it leads me to ask the question about ourselves: What does God expect out of you and me? I was reading a book called Just Give Me Jesus by Anne Graham Lotz years ago. And in her book, she tells about being invited to an institute of, of Christian leaders. It was a weekend and they were just going to be poured into by a man, an Englishman, who had a very thick British accent. So everything that this man said sounded very profound and deep. And he was preaching and speaking, and he asked the question as he's speaking to these groups of Christian leaders, he said, do you know what God expects of you? 
Do you know what God expects of you after a short pause? He answered his own question in a way that Anne, she, she never would have expected what he said. Do you know what God expects of you? And there was a pause and he said, failure. Failure. Anne said that she was stunned, so she thought, surely uh, this man's going to explain what he meant. And then he repeated it over again. Do you know what God expects of you? Failure. She wanted to raise her hand. She wanted to wildly say, hold, hold on a second. I, I, I know I can fail. I know what failure looks like. I believe I can, I can live to the expectations of God. And he said, but, here's what he said, but God has given you the Holy Spirit so that you need not ever fail. He knows what we're capable of. But He's given us the Spirit. See, there's a a secret to living the Christian life successfully. God would never expect more from me than the Holy Spirit would do in me and through me if I would allow Him the freedom to do so. Often we don't let, let, let the Spirit of God. We grieve the Spirit. We quench the Spirit. So that's why we fail. But if we live in the Spirit, hey, that's success. God created us in the first place. God knows what we are. He knows the very DNA inside of each of us. He formed us. He remembers us. He knows that we're just but, but dust is what we are. He knows our, our weaknesses. He knows what we're capable of. And God wants to use us for His glory. But we must answer the supreme question found in John chapter 21 that He asked Peter. Read with me in John 21 and verse 15. The Bible says, So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he had said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. I think it's worth noting in these three or four verses that Jesus had waited until the meal was over before confronting Simon. I mean, according to the text in verse 15, so when they had dined. It it was past tense. It's after the meal. The disciples were at ease. They're just maybe lounging and just maybe enjoying the morning. and, And now Jesus has showed up. And so they're just excited to be around their teacher, their rabbi, their their master. And and they're waiting on Jesus. Maybe to say a word. And after the meal, the disciples were prepared to receive any word that might come from the lips of Jesus. And while the other disciples quietly listened, Jesus then turns to Peter, which he calls Simon, which is interesting. That's his old name, Simon. And he says, Simon, lovest thou me more than these? Simon, I mean, that's a strange question. I'm sure it maybe caught uh, Simon Peter off guard. and, And no one enjoys being questioned about an area of life in which he's failed. And I believe Simon being caught off guard, matter of fact, that failure still very much on his mind is maybe a little, uh, not so much embarrassed, but caught off guard, struck by the question. 
Some would say, well, was Jesus being cruel to Peter to ask him a question in front of the other disciples? I don't think so because the disciples needed to know where Peter's heart was too. I mean, think about it. There's ten other men on this seashore and the conversation then shifts to Peter. Are you all in, Peter? Do you love me? See, no one enjoys being questioned about a failure, but if you're going to move on from that failure, you need to deal with the failure and just move on. Let the failure be to make you stronger. Hey, if you don't learn from your failures, you know what? That is a failure. And so, didn't Jesus know whether Peter loved him or not? Sure, Jesus knows the heart. He knows all of our hearts. But what he's trying to do is bring Peter to a conclusion. He's wanting Peter to be dealt with. Deal with your own heart. Peter never asked Jesus if he loved him, but Jesus did question Peter. Now notice the parallels between this scene and the incident just a few chapters before in the three denials. Both events took place around a charcoal fire. Both times in these accounts, Peter is called Simon Peter, the Spirit of God who inspired the writing of the Gospel through John, always uses the name Simon to indicate the old nature of Peter. And so in both accounts, Peter is questioned three times, but he must answer three times. Jesus asked him three questions. Why would Jesus ask Peter about his love for him? Because Church, don't miss this. The most important thing that matters to God is our love for Him. We find that all the way back in the law. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, He said that thou shalt to Israel, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. That mattered to God. And listen, that matters to Jesus. So it matters. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that without love for God, all that we say, all that we do is absolutely worthless. Matter of fact, can I, can I read that to you? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, just the first couple verses. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. You're just a bunch of noise. You can get up here and sing a song, but if you don't love it's noise. You can get up here and preach a message, but if it's not love, it's just noise. He then said, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and though I have all faith so that I could move mountains, I mean, that's incredible, and have not charity, I am nothing. Paul said, I can be super spiritual. I can have faith. I can do all these things, but if love does not possess my being, it's nothing. Paul said in verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Hey, without love, we are nothing. Paul made sure that we are to love. You can sacrifice your body. You can give your goods to the poor. You can have faith to move mountains. But if love's not there, it doesn't matter. Now I want you to look with me at the three questions and commands by Jesus to Peter, starting in verse number 15. I want you to notice the comparison. The comparison. Notice what he says. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, which is John, lovest thou me more than these? Uh, if you have a pen, I want you to take your pen out, and if you write in your Bible or mark in your Bible, mark underneath the, the phrase, more than these. 
Lovest thou me more than these? Uh, John, uh, Peter, do you love me more than these? Now, we don't have the privilege of knowing what Jesus was pointing at or where he was looking. We can't see. And the Bible doesn't really give us emphasis as to what Jesus was, was gesturing to or pointing to. But there are some possibilities. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than fish? Maybe there was some fish left over from breakfast or maybe he was pointing to the fish, uh, the 153 that they had caught. Do you love me more than these fish? Do you love me more than your livelihood? Do you love me more than your accomplishments? Do you love me more than your financial security? See, each one of these fish represented a dollar sign. This is what Peter did before Jesus had called him uh, to follow him. In Luke chapter 5, just three years before, Jesus had, had been out there and, and with these disciples and they were tooling and rowing and Jesus uh, uh, told them very similar. He, it was a miracle and, and they caught a big draught of fish. As a matter of fact, it broke the nets. It was so many. And Peter looked at Jesus and said, Oh, Jesus, forgive me. And Peter, then uh, Jesus preaches the message to, to, uh, to Peter and to the rest of the disciples. Hey, you've been fishing for fish but I want to make you a fisherman of men. And so that day they left their nets, they left their boats, and for three years Peter and the rest of the disciples had followed Jesus. Do you love me more than these? What is in your life today that grabs your attention, that calls for you to give your time, your energy, your love that's ahead of Jesus? What is it? What priority that you're thinking about right now that you know grips you? And, and Jesus was saying that he might have said, Simon, if that is a priority in your life, just leave those fish there three hours and watch what the sun does to your priorities. Your fish will dry up. They'll begin to rot and stink and you can't eat them after that. And that's what you're living for. Can I tell you something? All that we are living for on this earth, just go ahead and leave that house. Abandon that car and see what nature does to those things over a few years. Hey, it will destroy it, but yet we're living here. All the things that we think that matters. I'm not saying that having nice things is wrong, but what I'm saying is when those are your priority. And I wonder, even if I'm preaching, some of you thinking about your jobs right now. You, maybe you woke up this morning thinking about your career. Maybe you, you're thinking about what you're going to do tomorrow. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe you love to hunt and fish. And, and I love those things. I love them. Maybe it's golf. Maybe it's some thing that you do that has controlled you. Hey, listen, church. To the point that you're not as faithful as you should be. Remember when you didn't have nothing? Remember when you didn't have nothing? Remember when you were broke as a joke? Some of you say, I remember because it was today. <laughs> remember when all you did, you relied totally upon God? You prayed for things that God would come through and pay a bill for you? You remember when you cheerfully gave an offering, you cheerfully gave a mission, you cheerfully gave a tithe, and listen, the more God has blessed you, the more stingy you become. Why? Because things have moved up in your life and it has hindered your love for Jesus. Peter, do you love, do you love me more than these? And I can see some fish over there flopping around in that net. Maybe it's not fish, maybe... 
Jesus is asking, do you love me more than these friends? Maybe there's ten other disciples out there. And Peter, by the way, he loved his friends. I mean, Peter done everything with James and John, and Peter loved those men. And, and by the way, Peter cared about what those men thought about him. And Jesus is calling them out. Jesus is saying, do you love me more than you love John? Do you love me more than you love James? Do you love me more than you love Bartholomew and Nathaniel? Do you love me more than these guys? Often we preach about, to teenagers, we preach about peer pressure. And Let me tell you this. I'll tell you the people that's affected the most by peer pressure is not teenagers, it's adults. You care about what the Joneses think about you. And if we got Joneses in here today, we really care. If your last name's Jones. Oh, we do. We want to keep up with them down the street. We want them when they pass our house that everything needs to be meticulous and nice. And, and we want to make sure that they see that nice shiny boat we got and that nice new truck we've got. And boy, I want them to see my social media statuses and all my Instagram accounts. I want the world to click on all that. And Jesus said, do you love me more than social media? Do you love me more than the rest of the world? Do you love me more than your friends? Can I say, do you love me more than the, these other followers love me? Remember that before Jesus denied, or rather uh, Peter denied Jesus, that Peter had claimed to love Jesus more than the other disciples. All men may forsake you, Lord, but I will lay my life down for you. These other guys, they're only temporary, but Lord... You know, it's just like a Pharisee to push other people down to build themselves up. Every person that approaches me with a problem in the church, it's never about them. Preacher, I, I got a problem with me. No, it's always, well, look at that dude. Look at him. Look at her. She's not dressed right. He's not this and he's not that. And, 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 and all you're doing is bam, bam, pushing others down to make you look better. But guess what? God knows the heart. You're a Pharisee. You're a hypocrite. Because if we truly knew what you were, and by the way, one day those thoughts and tents will be in, revealed, right? So, do you love me more than these Friends and these followers and these fish, how about this? Do you love me more than folly? Your folly? Your old way of life? The old places you used to go, the old people you used to hang around, and, and Peter uh, did turn back to the old way for just a few. I mean, when, when Jesus said, I'll meet you here, and, and Peter said, well, I'm tired of waiting, I go a fishing. That's about how flaky Peter was. I'm not waiting on Jesus, we're going fishing, boys. Simon, he didn't say Peter, Simon, do you love me more than these? Church, can I ask you this question this morning? Do you love Jesus? Let me say some pointed things. If you love Jesus, no pastor's going to have to search you and find you on Sundays. I realize sometimes we take vacations. I realize sometimes you're sick. And I realize sometimes people's work schedule gets wonky and they have to... I understand that. I wish it wasn't so, but I understand it. 
But if you're just hit and miss, and if it's convenient, I'll show up, and if it's a pretty day, I'll show up, and if it's... Folks, listen, where's your priorities at? I, I watch college football, and I, I, I love it. I think it's the greatest time of the year, and I watch those fans in the stands. Rain or shine, cold or hot, down 40 to nothing, they're still in the stands cheering for their team. But yet we come to church, it's got to be sunny outside, 7 degrees, air conditioning's got to be working, and the kids have to be behaving for us to come. Do we really love Jesus? Well, I'll give an offering if all the bills are paid and if, if I've got plenty of money in the account. I'll give Jesus something. Now, that's called tipping. God doesn't need your money, by the way. I mean, you're just giving God a tip, saying, yeah, God, if you're good to me, I'll be good to you. No, 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 no. That's not how God works. God is good all the time. Do we, listen to me, do we love Jesus? We see the comparison, but secondly, we see the correction. Because the first time Jesus asked Peter, do you, do, do you love me? The word Jesus used for love was the word agape. Look at it in your text. Lovest thou me? That word love is, is agape. It is the fullest, the highest, the richest, the most unconditional love that we'll ever know. It is the same love that's found in John 3.16. For God so loved the world. And it's agape. It's a very rich and deep. And here's what Peter's response was to the first question. He said... He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And that sounds good to the English reader, but knowing the love that Peter's talking about, it's not agape. It's phileo. It's not the same love. Agape means, oh, I love you. There is no way that I can love you any deeper than I love you so much. I would lay my life down for you. I love you. That's what we tell our wife we love when we say, I love you. That's what we tell our children, I love you. It's not just, but Peter said, you know, Lord, that I like you. The word phileo is a, is a, a very uh, uh, broad love. It's more like a love that a friend would have one another. And I know friends can love each other deeply, but, but it's almost like, you know that I like you very dearly. Jesus said, do, do you love me, Peter? And Peter says, I like you, Lord. The third time Jesus asked Simon, do you, phileo, do you like me, Peter? Peter responds, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. You know that I like you dearly. Here's what the conversation between Jesus and Peter would actually be something like this. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I like you as a dear friend. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I like you as a dear friend. Simon, son of John, do you like me as a dear friend? Lord, you know all things. You know that I like you as a dear friend. The third time John could tell by the look, John the writer, could tell by the look on Simon's face, and the tone of his voice that Jesus had grieved Peter. And by the way, it's in your text. He said in verse 17, look at it, and Peter was grieved. This is the only time in Scripture that you'll see that someone was grieved by the words of Jesus. 
Jesus was, Brother Mark, Jesus was one that spoke life. He was the one that encouraged. He was the one that lifted people up. He was the one that put a smile on their face, if you will, every time he encountered someone. But yet when Peter's having an encounter with Christ, he's grieved. Why was he grieved by these questions? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know because you're all-knowing. You know by, by what you see in my heart even now. You know the level of love that I have for you now. And Jesus asked us, church, listen to this. Jesus asked us, do you love me? Hey, be honest. He knows your heart. Why didn't Peter confess agape love for Jesus? I think what Peter was saying is, Lord, I will not brag anymore of my great love for you. How can I brag of my great love for you when I have failed you so miserably? I believe Peter loved Jesus, but Peter had been a failure. He had been broken. And Peter said, how in the world can I tell you that I love you after I denied you just a few days ago? You ever been to the point where you felt like you have, you felt like you have failed the Lord so greatly that you can't even pray, that you can't even worship? Lord, compared to your great love for me, I can only say that I like you as a dear friend. Do you love Jesus this morning? Why do you love him? A 16th century Jesuit missionary by the name of Francis Xavier described his love for the Lord Jesus this way. Listen to these words. Why, O oh blessed Jesus Christ, should I not love you well? Not for the sake of winning heaven or escaping hell. Not with hope of gaining things, nor seeking a reward. But as you proved your love to me, O ever-loving Lord. And so I love you and will love all your praises sing because you are my loving God and my eternal King. Do you love Jesus this morning? Here's the third and final thing about our text. We see the comparison. We see the, the uh, correction that Jesus has given Peter in a way of, in form of, of questions. But then we see the commitment. There's a level of commitment that Jesus makes some statements and actually commands to Peter. Here's a call to action. Love can only be revealed by an act. Words alone cannot reveal love. Even if God were to write the words, God is love in letters in the fire in the clouds, that wouldn't tell us anything. He showed us His love. So love is action. Love must be expressed. The Bible says in John chapter 15 and verse 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, God uh, commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us. He asked some questions and, and he, he, he wanted Peter to be dealt with, but then he gives some commands. Here's the first command. It's found in verse number 15. He says, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Here's at the end. He saith unto him, here it is, Feed my lambs. Tend to my lambs. Feed them. Jesus tells Peter to Fin, uh, to feed or to tend uh, to these 
what the Greek word is, the word bosco, it means young lambs, which is a, a, an, an, an arneon, uh, meaning those young ones in the faith who are prone to wonder. Uh, Peter, I've got a specific job for you. I need you to feed my lambs. There's going to be young ones in the faith, and Peter, I need you to feed them because they are prone to wander. Now, there's three observations about this text that I have, in, in the way the Lord worded this to Peter, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Uh, the first observation is that sheep belong to Christ and not the church. You are His sheep. We are in Christ alone. My hope is found. We understand that we belong. Hey, you listen, you, you may be a member of Bible Baptist because we're a local called out assembly, but you don't belong to Bible Baptist Church. You belong to Jesus. Bible Baptist Church could close. Bible Baptist Church could go away, but He will never go away. We belong to Christ. He'll never lose us out of the palm of His hand. And notice what He said in verse 15. He said, my lambs. He said in verse 16, my sheep. He said in verse 17, my sheep, hey, this is a possessive pronoun, we belong to Him. I'm thankful. Listen, I, I don't want to be belonging to anybody else but Jesus. <laughs> my dad, I love him. I talked to him on the phone last night. I love my mother. I belong to them in a physical sense. Uh, they are my parents, and uh, I thank God for them. But one day, sad to say, I'll go, uh, if this is the way it works, nature and, and the Lord uh, sees fit, I, I will go to a daddy's grave. I dread that day. I'll go to mama's grave. I dread that day. But one day they won't be here, but the Lord will always be here. And by the way, they belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. Our church belongs to Jesus. So the sheep belong to Christ and not the church. But secondly, it is possible to hold the office of a pastor but never feed the sheep. I, I, I don't want to sound... I don't want to sound condescending, nor arrogant, nor prideful. Please don't under, misunderstand. But what some people listen to on Sundays at churches, what some people... And they call that preaching. They're not getting fed. You're getting a life lesson on how to be good, successful, and maybe a, a, a better businessman, or maybe this or that, and they may be giving you some proverbs or some principles, but it's time that we get back to feeding the sheep. America is starving today from preaching. There is a dearth of pastors today that will herald. The word preaching means to herald. I'll be preaching on that. I'll be preaching on preaching in just a few weeks. But can I tell you something? It's time that we herald the truth. And I'm not talking about herald your uncle. I'm talking about herald, meaning that we proclaim, we cry loud, we spare not, we lift up our voice like a trumpet. Preachers should preach. Feed. I don't care if it's in a monotone voice. I don't care how style. I get pretty passionate about preaching. I get pretty, uh, uh, you know, getting at it because I love it. That's just the way it is. But, but I don't care. I've heard all kinds of preaching. I've heard men read their message. I've heard them uh, in a very uh, monotone voice, but it's still powerful. Here's the thing. The truth needs to be preached. 
unapologetically. I believe that God blesses expository preaching. Expository preaching, meaning verse by verse. And here's what expository preaching is. It's not just verse by verse, but you're taking uh, the Word of God and you're squeezing it like a rag and you're getting all of that out of that and you're letting it and the little lambs are down there going, ah! Preach the Word. Preach the Word. Feed the sheep. There are many professionals who are not pastors as they never feed the flock. The word pastors, it, it, the word pastor in the Greek is the word pomenos, which means feeder. It literally means feeder, a shepherd, a feeder. Shepherds, well, they do, they feed the flock. Not only do they protect it, but they lead it, they feed it. Sheep are starving to death. Here's the third observation is Christ has deep concern for his flock. Verse 17, he says, he says in verse 17, at the very end, feed my sheep, tend to my sheep. You could translate that as, as feed my dear sheep. I, these are my sheep and I love them dearly. Shepherd my sheep. Take care of them. These little sheep, those not yet fully mature in the faith, watch over them, protect them, guide them, lead them. And then there's the third command. The third command is found in verse 17. He says, again, feed my sheep, tend to them. It strikes me as well as Jesus did not tell Peter, Peter, build my church. Peter, evangelize the world. Peter, train leaders for the future. P Peter, uh, pray every day until I'm gone. Uh, Peter, memorize scripture regularly. Peter, be an example to the church. He says, feed them. Feed them. Now, by the way, these other things, they're all included in, in, in a good, healthy church. But you understand the most important thing is feeding. I like to eat, and when mama calls supper, that's the most important thing going on in our house. McDonald's can never do for you what the kitchen can do for you. Can I get an amen? Drive-through Christianity's killing us. Give me a number one. We're out of ice cream. We don't have Diet Coke. And we can't take cash. You might, listen, I haven't been to McDonald's in a long time. But can I tell you something? Garbage. You say, well, Pastor, we grew up, I don't understand. I didn't. I didn't eat at McDonald's until I was in college. We just, my mama cooked. We grew up in West Virginia, listen to me. My mama grew up on a farm on the backside in Pluto, West Virginia. I mean, next, I mean, they wasn't, mama, dad told me he was in high school before he ever went to a restaurant. He didn't even know how to order. He was embarrassed. Let, let's say this. We have been spoiled on drive-through Christianity. Punch a button, whatever you, yeah, well, I want this and I want this and I want this. Hold on a second. No, you need to pull up to mama's table and get fed. You may not like it all the time. She might serve you squash. Brussels sprouts. Uh, we, I mean, we had pinto beans and cornbread. Hallelujah to God. But, out, but kids today, I don't like that. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Green beans with ham in it. Glory. I'm getting some of y'all stirred up. Y'all ain't shouted since I've been past. 
I start preaching on food, y'all get ham hock. I'm talking about, about the whole pig in that pot of, you know, I mean, you got to drink 17 gallons of water to get, you know, cornbread. And I'm not talking about all the way out of the box either. Some of that box stuff's pretty good. I'm talking about the real cornbread, cornmeal. My, my, my grandmother, y'all know this is good preaching. My grandma, my grandma made a, made out of a, out of a cast iron skillet, she made a thing of cornbread every day. Every day. And she lived to be 100 years old. Every day. Buttermilk, cornbread. And as a kid, I didn't know what was going on in that kitchen, but it was heavenly. I didn't understand it. But, but as I was thinking about feeding and food and nourishment, hey, thank God for, listen, my grandpa smoked six packs a day, worked in the coal mines, breathed all that dust, and lived off of the garden and, and lived to be 90 years old. And what we're putting in our bodies today, that's a whole different message, but I'll say, I'll, I'll say this. If it's wrong physically to put garbage in our body, it's wrong spiritually when we put garbage in our mind and our heart. Some of you need to put the garbage down and let somebody feed you. Well, I know, but I just sometimes, he's a little too passionate. Thank, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Here it is. I believe by the third question and the third response and the third command, Peter needs an altar call. Humility and brokenness. Peter had denied the Lord. He had failed him. He went fishing again. He went back to the old way. Jesus did that miracle for Peter. Cast your net on the right side, Peter. I know you're still, you're still trying to be old Simon, but I need you. I've got something for you, Peter. Did Peter ever learn the importance of humility? See, Peter, as I said earlier, Lord, everyone else is going to fall away. I'm the most spiritual here. Lord, they may walk away from you, but I will die for you. I'll lay my life down for you, Lord. I'm the best of this disciple band. Lord, I'm with you. Hey, remember when Peter, when, when Jesus was up in that upper room and, and, and Jesus declared that someone would, would deny him and, and betray him, and, and Peter was ready to kill do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when Malchus came along with those temple guards and they were going to arrest uh, Jesus? It wasn't John that drew the sword. It wasn't Bartholomew or, or Nathaniel or Matthew or any. And no, no. J Peter grabbed a sword and listen, he wasn't going for the ear. He went for the head. And yet here he is. Broken, humbled, and later Peter would write in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 5, Likewise ye younger, this is the same Peter, Likewise ye younger, submit yourself unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed, be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. Peter wrote that? Oh, yeah. That's what brokenness does. 
when you have reached the bottom and you're confronted with true love, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Oh, he, he wrote, listen, he wrote in the last things that we have recorded that Peter said. He said in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Savior, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to Him be glory. And, and both now and forever, amen. Peter said that. I believe it was Chuck Colson who said, the real legacy of my life was my biggest failure. That I was an ex-convict my greatest humiliation was being sent to prison, but it was the beginning of God's greatest use in my life. He chose the one experience in which I could not glory for His glory. It took Chuck Colson going to prison for God to receive glory. It took Peter being abandoned of himself, emptied of himself, void of himself to be used of God. C.H. Spurgeon said this, we are at our spiritual best when we are shipwrecked on the island of God's sovereignty. Vance Havner said, God uses broken things. It is the broken alabaster box that gives forth perfume. It is the broken soil that gives or produces a crop. It is the broken clouds that give rain. It is the broken grain that gives bread. It is the broken bread that gives strength. God uses Broken things. God had a plan for Peter. Would you say I'm willing to be broken? Nobody wants to say that. I'm willing to change, Lord. Are you willing to be broken? Are you willing to be humbled? I'm willing to be asked the most powerful question a human could ever be asked on this earth. Do I really love you, Lord? And the Lord knows all things. Because of the riches of God's grace, Peter was a greater disciple and a greater preacher after him denying the Lord. After. If Jesus had said, your sin is forgiven you, your transgressions are blotted out, your iniquity is covered, that would have been one thing. But he said to Peter, listen to this, he said to Peter, Peter, feed my sheep. Now, hold on a second. That is the ultimate forgiveness. Jesus could have easily looked at Peter and said, Peter, your sins are forgiven. Hey, when you denied me, I forgive you for that. And we would have said, praise the Lord. Christ is a forgiver. He not only forgave Peter, but he recommissioned Peter. Get this, church. Failure is not final with the Father. Pastor, you have no idea what I've done. I've never, I've, I have flubbed the dub. I have messed up. I have disappointed God. I've disappointed people. I've disappointed, uh, I, I just, I've just flubbed it up. I've messed up. Listen, as broken as you may think you are, God uses broken things. Boy, God had a plan for Peter. And God has a plan for you. Heavenly Father,